Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, like you said, my name is Ben, if you don't know me. And uh, man, I'm glad to be here and filling in for our pastor, Jonathan. And uh, just wanted to say, uh, man, we have a great pastor at this church, man. We have a um, godly pastor and a pastor. Yeah, give a hand. Go ahead. <clears throat> and a pastor that just leads us well. So just encourage you and just all of our staff. We have a great staff here, but you know, make sure that you pray for uh, our, our pastor and the staff here. Um, man, being in ministry, just to say this, man, the enemy hates them and he hates what they're doing for the Lord. And so just to pray for your pastors um, because the enemy wants to destroy them. And so pray for provision for their family and protection and then also for them. So, um yeah, be doing that. Let's do that right now. Let me pray for our pastor. Lord, I just thank you for um, Pastor Jonathan and just all of the staff here at Schindler. God, we're so grateful for them. Lord, we pray for provision for them. We pray, God, that you would give them the spirit to discern your direction. We also pray that you would protect them from the enemy as he tries to come in and divide and destroy. Lord, that you would just be with him, that you would renew his spirit, and that you would lead him, and that your name would be lifted high. I pray this in Jesus' name. Um, so let me ask you a question. Growing up, uh, we all probably played this game. What would you do with a million dollars? Now, inflation, let's make it a billion. All right, let's put it a billion. Okay, it's been a tough year. Let's throw it at a billion. Everybody good with that? All right. So uh, I'm sure there are answers that pop in your head. And I think probably depending on what life stage you're in or what age you're in, they're probably different. But let's just say... Um, some of you guys are thinking, man, a boat would be amazing. No, let's scratch that. A yacht. I would love a yacht. A huge house. Uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, man, a maid. A maid, right? If you have a maid, can't hide money. And I, I feel you, right? Uh, a butler. Uh, may, maybe some of you are into cars, and you're like, man, I would love some nice cars. Uh, some of you are like, man, I just want to get away from people. I'm going to buy a lot of land and like move out somewhere. Right? Others are thinking, man, I, you know, y'all are so selfish. I'm going to take care of my family, and that's where I'm going to spend my money, um, and I'm going to use my own money for that. Now, if you're asking me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy some land out west. I'm going to get a chef. I'm going to eat like a king, and I'm going to get a full-time babysitter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, sort of. Um, so don't judge me. I'm just kidding. But here's what I want to say. If, if you're thinking about when you're playing that game, we usually don't ask this question, but I'm going to ask it. What if that money came at a cost to you? What if there was some fine print, a catch to that, to getting money? For example, let me give you a couple of things. First one is maybe you could have all that money, but you only are going to have 10 years to live. Hmm, things are just to consider, Right? You could have that money, but you had to live in a certain location. You had to be away from your family. Somebody's like, yes, yes, I'm down, right? What if, what if that money, though, here's the question that I want to hang on to. What if that money or that thing cost you a relationship with Jesus? This morning, I want to share a story that that actually happened. That happened with Jesus that might have done that very thing, that a person had a chance to walk with God, to, to be around the Lord, to follow Jesus, and they chose their wealth. So 
probably familiar with this story. We're going to be in Mark 10, 17 through 22. Your title probably is going to read, Rich Young Ruler. So let's get into it. Mark 10, 17 through 22. It says, as Jesus started on his way, it says, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he says. Go, so everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would get me behind the cross, that you would speak through me. It wouldn't be about me, but it would be about you. I pray that we would... Show us through your spirit more of who you are and how you are the ultimate treasure in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first point is, let me ask you this question. What is your ultimate treasure? What is your ultimate treasure? So let's look into this story. Let's see what's going on. This young guy, he's a ruler of some kind, right? And, and, he's, and he's rich. He probably has influence. And he comes up to Jesus and he wants to know more about having to have eternal life. It says, too, if you'd read earlier, it says that Jesus started on his way. So it almost seems like he ran him down and was like, oh, 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 Jesus, 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 real quick, let me ask you a question. And the thing that he says to Jesus, showing a little bit about himself and a little bit about his, what he thought about Jesus, is, hey, Jesus, as a good teacher, he sees Jesus as a good teacher. He says he's probably heard of Jesus' miracles. He's convinced that if anyone knows about eternal life, this, this Jesus is going to know. But being wealthy, I'm sure, he was used to a little favoritism. Probably, you know, people would say what he wanted to hear, you know, because he had money and he probably had influence. We don't see that this guy's a bad guy. In fact, it seems like he really is trying to figure out, what do I have to do for eternal life? You know, God's law... He knows God's law, and he sees Jesus as the one to explain it to him, to have eternal life. But Jesus, first thing he does is he corrects some bad theology. He says, whoa, you're calling me good. Do you, do you know what you're saying? That God is only good. And that blindly, this man couldn't even see that he was talking to God right in front of him. And then the rich young ruler says this, what must I do what must i do to inherit eternal life you know the first thing when people think about religion and when they think about heaven is they think what do i need to do what rules do i need to follow what tests do i need to take and here's the deal all religions except christianity require a person to do things for salvation They've got to pray so many times. They can't eat this. They can't do that. But Christianity 
is a religion that does opposite. It is a gift. It is a grace. It is freely given. And I can understand why people have a hard time understanding that because isn't everything in our life, you do this, you get that. You work, you get money, right? You put into this relationship, you'll get out. But in Christianity, following Jesus, it's a gift first. It's grace. Can't do anything to earn it. So a lot of people, when you think about coming to Jesus, think about what are the conditions that I need to do to come to Jesus? And they think of actions. And that's how you start going down the wrong thought about how to follow Christ. So Jesus walks the young ruler. He says, all right, well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't not like, he's not rude to him. That's what's interesting to me is, is Jesus could be like, dude, what are you doing? I'm, I'm God. Come follow me. He says, Jesus walks the young ruler through some of the commandments. And he's like, yeah, I've done all these. Ooh, ooh. Can you imagine that Jesus is having patience with him, knowing that he's known what he's thought the last day, the last week, the last year, since he's been alive? You've done all these? Ooh. The rich young ruler thinks he's good. You know, there's two people that usually miss Jesus. It's the people that think they've done so bad that they can't come to God, which is false, right? And then the other people, they don't think they need Jesus because they think they're pretty good. They're the checklist. They're, they're the rule followers. And these are the people that miss because Jesus shows us very clearly that nobody is a good guy. Nobody is perfect. On a heart level, we all sin. We all have evil thoughts. We all have broken God's law. Some of you are here, you're like, well, I mean, I guess. Yeah, but you really, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm pretty good. So I would love if we had this machine where we could set you down in front and we could put this thing on your head and it would project all the things that you've thought this morning, this week, and this year. Anybody would sign up to come do that, right? No, is the answer, right? Because you know, just because you don't have outside sin that shows, your inside is just as evil as the outside sin. And often, we as believers judge people's outside sin when we have the same ravishing heart inside. We just haven't followed through to that extent. And Jesus compared the thought with the action. They're the same. And that's why Romans 3 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And here's the irony of this story. The irony of this story is Jesus is in front of this man because no human has lived perfectly, because all have sinned. And he's in front of this man because Jesus has come to fix that very issue. And this guy is missing it because he thinks he has the good works. I've done all these things. I'm good. I'm good. But Jesus is going to reveal soon That I came because you didn't. That you're lying. That you haven't done all these things perfectly. You haven't fulfilled those. Now you you probably might have compared yourself to others and feel good. But you know how the Bible compares each human? To God. How you doing? Not well. Not well. The Bible says that. Right? You're not doing good because you can't. You're not perfect. And God is perfect. That's the only way you can be with God is to be perfect. And so Jesus comes. 
Jesus is here because nobody can be perfect. He came to be perfect in our place. And Jesus shows him this very thing. He says, awesome. You've kept all these commandments. You, you, you've done all these things. Now, let me, let me show you something. Sell what you got. Sell all your things and come and follow me. And the guy goes from a posture of pride and of saying, I've done all these things, and to hitting the heart. An arrow straight to this heart where the heart is plucked out and God shows him right in front of him his pride and his good deeds mean nothing because really his wealth owns him and he doesn't own his wealth. His wealth owns him and he doesn't own his wealth. Why is that important? Because that wealth, that thing is controlling him and he follows it wherever it says. Master, come this way, servant. Come get more money over here. Go, go, go protect your money over there. Yes, yes, master. His master is his riches. The man wants Jesus, but he wants the world as well. And the Bible is very clear. You can't have both. Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the rich man here shows that Jesus isn't his true master. His money is. His wealth is. And listen to this. And he walks away sad because he wanted Jesus, but he loved his money more. The man had been blinded by his money that that was the ultimate treasure. And he followed that as his master. And yet God was standing right in front of him. Saying come and follow me. Because here's the deal. He thought that he needed this wealth to get through this life. And if he would have known Jesus was the one that was going to get him through. He failed to see that. The man had two masters money and trying to follow God. And he chose the one with money. Who here loves Coke products? Who's a Coke drinker? Right? Okay. All right. Now, who here is the Pepsi drinkers? Who likes Pepsi? Okay. You're the reason the business is continuing. Okay. All right. <laughs> Didn't know how they were going. All right. Uh, but I'm going to weird. I'm, I'm going to give you this, Pepsi drinkers. Is anybody weird with this? Like, if you get a Pepsi that has just, like, it's really, really cold, and then you pair it with, like, a pizza, like, it just hits different. Is anybody with me? Okay. Yes. One person. All right. Good. So, yeah. I'm with that. Now, here's what I want you to do. I, I just said that for really no reason, but the point to this. I want you to imagine that I'm going to be the new marketing manager at Coke. I'm excited about my new job. Thanks for asking. And uh, I'm sure it, once I get this job, I'm going to have Coke products everywhere. My little kids are going to be running around with Coke shirts on. And we're going to be, go Coke, go Coke. But what I didn't tell you is that also the marketing manager for Pepsi. Okay? And I've been working there for years. Okay, would it make sense for me to be the marketing manager of both companies at the same time? First of all, I'm sure there's all kind of violations and like things I'm breaking up here and like I would be committing. But the big thing is, is I would be divided because I'm, these days I would be towards Coke and I'm like, how are we going to get Pepsi? And then I come over like, Pepsi, how are we going to get Coke? And it would be this continual turmoil in my heart to figure out who I really am allegiance to. 
And my point is, is that when you have opposite things going on, you're going to have huge problems. When you have competing things for your heart, you're going to have huge problems. The Bible says a divided house can't stand. It will always crumble. And the point of the story isn't that money is bad. The problem with is that anything that consumes you so much, that you dream of so much, that you think about so much, that you would say, i got to have this more than I've got to have Jesus. And the Bible talks about that. The word there is idol, which basically means anything that is more important to you than God. The problem with a lot of people isn't that they deny Jesus' deity and he's the son of God or, or they deny that the Christian faith is right. It's just that they want something else more. It could be a good thing. I want a family, and I've got to marry into this family, and they're not really Christians, and they don't like that, so I, you know, I'm not going to really walk with the Lord anymore. It could be a career, man. Nobody, I don't, nobody wants to hear me be like, hey, I don't do this, I don't do that all the time, and the moral police. And So I'm just not going to deny my faith and walk away from that. It could be getting money. I know if I'm going to get money, I've got to kind of do some dirty deals and my Christian ethics. Some of you, it could be like, man, I just love living in sin, and I don't want to repent. I love the party lifestyle, and so I'm, I'm just going to go on. And that's your thing that you're saying, I, I'll walk away from Jesus. This is more important. If you're still wondering, I've got some questions for you. In the book Gospel by J.D. Greer, he gives a definition of idol, and then he gives some questions to test what is your idol. He says this, an idol is whatever takes the place of God in our lives. An idol is whatever we feel like we cannot live without. It is what we think is an absolute necessity for life and happiness. So if you're here and you're like, I'm not sure if I have an idol, I've got six questions. Here's your test. All right, question number one. What one thing do you most hope is in your future? What's one thing that do you most hope is in your future? Two, what is the one thing you most worry about losing? Three, what things have you sacrificed most for? Four, who is there in your life that you feel like you can't forgive and why? Five, when do you feel the most significant? And then six, where do you turn for comfort when things are not going well? Ouch. He says, these questions reveal a pattern in your life that show what your idol is. St. Augustine talks about this. He says that worry, fear, sadness, and deep depression are smokes from the fires rising from the altars of idolatry. So my question to you is, let's put you in the story. Let's put you in the young ruler, rich young ruler's shoes tonight, this morning. If Jesus said to you, sell, give up, Leave, forgive, walk away from. What would you look at Jesus and put your head down like this and uh, and you would start to walk away from Jesus because you couldn't do? What's that thing? But you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand that revenge that needs to be, judgment needs to be on that person. You don't understand. I've never had anything. I, I, I never had any money in my life. You don't understand. It's easy for you to say, Ben. 
What is that thing that's pressing you that Jesus says, give up and follow me, and you can't? There's your idol. Could be a bad relationship. Could be a a good job. Maybe a sin that you enjoy and that you just refuse to turn from. What has become ultimate in your life that you would walk away from Jesus as he asked you to give it up and follow him? Even there, let me ask you this. If Jesus came up to you and you would give it up, what stings? What hurts? That might be a little bit of showing what idol is there. Listen, as Christians, we can start to feel distant from God sometimes. And, and, and the reality is, we can feel cold in our relationship with God. But I can assure you, God hasn't left us, but we have left Him. But maybe you've allowed something to keep you from Christ. An idol. Something has convinced you that Jesus isn't really the true treasure. You know, I thought about this when I was a teenager a lot. I thought, I mean, I was a believer, and I thought Jesus was good, but I thought he was like a part of life. Like, he was an appetizer, and he would be like a dessert when I die, but he wasn't like the full course. Like, something else was out there. There was something else, right? I work with college uh, ministry, or college students all the time, and, you know, they're always the question, I've got to find myself, right? I got, what's that thing that's going to fulfill me? What's that thing? And, you know, they're looking, and I remember in college looking myself. And, you know, I think sometimes what's happened is we've allowed bad experiences, bad theology, church hurt to affect how we see who Jesus is. We've not allowed scripture to color Jesus. We've allowed our experiences. And so we think Jesus isn't that great. And so we choose the other. But remember, a divided house can't stand because people believe that Jesus isn't the real treasure. But the Bible tells us that he is. Let's look at that. Point two, Jesus is the ultimate treasure. So Jesus gave, gives two parables in Matthew thirteen forty four through 46. A parable is a short story to explain a deeper meaning. And Jesus says this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought the field. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Listen, this parable is directly related to understanding the kingdom, to understand the gospel, and to knowing Jesus. This person kind of stumbles. Do you see it? He stumbles upon a treasure. And he finds this pearl. And apparently this person doesn't own the land or the pearl. But he went with joy and he put everything up he had for sale. And he gave everything to get the treasure and the pearl. So what does this, par- what does this parable tell you about the kingdom of heaven? What does this parable tell you about Jesus? Is the person sad that sells everything? Is he upset that he's got to get rid of all of his stuff? He isn't. Why? Because the treasure or pearl had so much more value than the things he owed. It was nothing to sell all he had. I want you to imagine that you're looking for a house. Now, I know it's probably not a good time to get on the market. What, I'm, uh, you know, it's probably not. You probably want to hold, whatever. Um, maybe ask for a realtor for more uh, better advice. But anyways, you're looking for a house and 
you're nosy. You're like, I'm not nosy. Just imagine that you're a really nosy person. I know there's probably nobody in here that's out there. But someone in here is very nosy, and they're very meticulous and detailed. And whenever you go with your spouse, they're like, oh, my gosh, we're never going to do anything because you have to check out everything. So you're, you're, you're checking everything out this house. You're thinking about buying. You go outside. You check the fence. You, you check the bathrooms. And then you go up in the attic. And you got your magnifying glass out, right? And, and you're looking around and you see some old clothes and there's a nasty smelling hat. And you look under that and you find some apple stock. So not the fruit, but the company, right? Some old apple stock. And this stock is actually like from when apple like first started. And so the stock that you literally have in your hands is worth millions upon millions of dollars. And you're like... You, you Google it, you research it, it's it, it's, it's, it's it. And you're like, ah. Uh. And so you run downstairs and, and you go to the real ordinary and you come up to one like, we'll take it, we'll take it. Your wife <laughs> looks at you and your spouse says, honey, this is way out of our price range. Like really out of our price range. Shouldn't we put in a lower price? The man says, I want it, let's do it now, let's buy it today. And the realtor's like, it's going to take a little bit longer to buy your house. And you're like, I don't care. Let's rush it. Let's do whatever we have to do to get this house. I want it now. And the man's like, and your wife's like, calm down. Like, maybe we should put in a lower price. Let's like, let's like work the system. He's like, no, I'll sell everything I've got. I'll get my cars. I'll get my house. We'll do everything. I want it now. The realtor's like, yes, I love it. I love it, right? And the wife is so mad and confused. And the man smiles and he's filled with joy because he sold the things he had and he just became the richest man that he knew. Now, let's go back and see the rich young ruler story and contrast it with these parables. The first thing you should notice in contrast of the rich young ruler and the person that finds the treasure is how they leave. One is sad and holds on to his wealth and leaves Jesus. And the other is happy to sell what he has and follow Jesus. The person that is sad is the man that kept his wealth and the one that sold everything is happy. How does that make sense in our world today? Don't you know, Ben, that when you have money or you, or you get power or fame, that's where it's at. That's where you find happiness. That's where you find true joy. That's where the treasure lies. But it seems that this person that stumbled over the treasure and the pearl knew something different. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus to keep his wealth. And in the parable, the person sells everything so he can have the true wealth, which is Christ. What's the big contrast of this story in this parable? It's assessing the value of treasure in Jesus and in the gospel. I don't know if you've seen this meme. If I was smart, I would have put it out there so you could leave it and we could all laugh together. But I'm going to have to describe it to you. So here we go. So it's a cool meme about water bottles. Okay? So you see a water bottle, if we go down to the gas station, depending on which one you buy, it's probably like $0.99, cents, $1.29, right at the gas station. Now, let's take this water bottle, same one, to a restaurant, $2.99, right? You feeling that? All right, now let's go high in an airplane, Four dollars, right? Now let's take this thing to Disney. One million dollars. Am I preaching, right? What happened? The water bottle didn't change. 
The contents didn't change in what's inside, but the value that the people saw in the water bottle at different places were different. You see, the rich young ruler didn't see the true value of Jesus. And he walked away. But the person who sold the field and saw the value gave everything up for Christ. And he came out the wealthy one. You see, sometimes people miss the ultimate treasure in Jesus because they have a bad theology. People say, I don't want to talk about theology. Let's just keep it. Look, reading scripture is theology, right? Knowing who God is and how he's revealed himself is important and has implications on your life. Okay? Maybe you've had bad experiences with church. Maybe with other Christians. Maybe you've bought into a prosperity gospel. If I have more faith, my health will help or I have more riches. That doesn't happen. And so you're, I can never please Jesus. That's a bad theology one. And we push all of that junk and we say, this is who Jesus is. I don't want any part of that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've been there before. Man, I thought that Jesus, when I was growing up, was judgmental and not approachable. He was just looking how he can send me to hell. He was just looking so he could send me to hell. Where's that? Being messed up today? All right. Enjoy. And that was how I viewed God. Think about that theology and how that worked out. I've tried to earn God's love before. I've been upset with things that didn't happen in my life and I've blamed God. But here's the deal. When I dig into scripture and the Holy Spirit shows me more of who Jesus is and the treasure I have in him, that changes. You see, if we could physically go in these parables and literally open up the treasure box or hold the pearl, what we would see is an unmeasurable, undescribable value that we have in Jesus. That Jesus is our creator, our savior, our friend, and the ultimate satisfaction of our soul. So here's what I'm going to do as we're getting ready to kind of end here in a minute. I want to show you the ultimate treasure you have in Jesus. Because you're here, and listen, I know I've been in here, and I come in at different times. There's different things going on in my life. And the self-help, anything like that, that's not going to work. You need Jesus, I need Jesus. So let's walk through Scripture and tell us what the treasure that we have in Jesus. So first one I want to start with, Psalm 139. That Jesus is your creator. Okay? Psalm 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Guys, there is nobody that knows you more than Jesus. There is nobody more intimate that knows you than Jesus. Man, he was there in the forming of you in your mother's womb. He knew your thoughts. He knows you. He put you together. He made you. He knew all the days that are to come. Jesus knows you. So many times we forget. Like Jesus doesn't understand. He formed you. He understands. You may feel lost at times. 
or that someone doesn't understand you. But Jesus does. He created you. He knows you. Listen to this. And He likes you. Some of us struggle. They like the first two things. You know Jesus likes you? He loves you, but He likes you. He likes you. Here, I want to continue to look in this treasure box. Not only is Jesus our creator, he's your savior. The problem that we all have, this rich young ruler have, that I have, that you have, is that sin has taken this world and our bodies and it has broken everything. And sin is going to bring punishment to everything. And we're set off on a course for hell. And God knew that. And God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come to this earth for this very reason. Jesus knew the barrier and the punishment that was coming upon you and me. And so he sent Jesus. Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life. And then he goes to the cross and he pays your penalty and your sins physically and spiritually so that you can be set free, so you can be forgiven. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Listen to this. Isaiah 53, 5 takes it to even more an intimate thing. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's Jesus. That's your treasure. He was willing to take hell upon himself so that you could have peace. What else could be more uh, worthy to take that place that Jesus has? Jesus was willing to take physical and spiritual suffering for you in his place. He gave his life for yours. He traded his life as a sacrifice so that all that come to him and turn from their sins can be forgiven. Man, God has such a deep love for us. God has such a deep love for us that not only when he created us, we broke everything. He came and he was willing to die to buy us back. Listen, Jesus is not only your creator and savior, but he's also your friend. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 15 says this, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father have made known to you. Let me ask you a question real quick. Just think with me in your mind. Have you ever had a really bad friend? (laughs) Like a really bad friend? Have you ever had a really good friend? A good friend that you can talk to. Man, I, I have one, and, and, and it's someone that I can literally go to, and I can share all my struggles, and he'll stay there with me and encourage me, tell me about Jesus, tell me more about the gospel, pray with me, or sometimes just listen. If I was him, I would delete my contact, I would head for the hills, and I would never want to be around that crazy Ben Brawley again. Here's what I want you to know. The best friend that you've ever had fails in comparison to the friend you have in Jesus. Man, Jesus is your friend completely. He's not keeping secrets from you. 
There's not an alternate agenda that he has. He's not looking to backstab you. Look what he says. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. God has made known plainly what's to come, what's happened, and where it's going. Right? He created us. We sinned. He came and died for our sins. He's forgiven those all and all that turn to him for repentance and faith. And then at the end, we're all going to be with him. He's not holding anything back. There's no other agenda. He's not trying to get something from us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything. This is the friend we have. He's the one that knows everything about you that we would throw on that screen. And he will never leave you or forsake you. That doesn't make sense. He will never leave you or forsake. He is someone that cares for you. He cares about the small details. Have you ever been on the phone with someone that won't quit talking about little stuff that you don't care about? It's exhausting. Jesus listens. He says, take all your anxieties and cast them on me because he cares. He wants you to come to him with your worries and your fears and your details that are crazy. He wants you to consult him. He wants you to come to him and get counsel. And his friendship is unending. And his love for you and his mercy goes on and on. And he's the friend that you continue to stab in the back, you continue to use, who will continue to forgive you over and over and over and over again. Where sin increased, grace increased even more. That's Jesus. That's the treasure we have. Jesus is not only your friend, he is the puzzle piece you're missing. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction of your soul. The whole, you know, you've probably, if you've been in church, you've always uh, heard this, right? That we have a hole inside of us, right? And that we're always trying to fill this. I was telling the first service, uh, and we're looking for those things just to stop the hole, right? To stop the film, but it's like quicksand. It just draws it in, and where's, what's next? Man, when I was a kid, it was a four-wheeler. I wanted a four-wheeler so bad. I, if you'd have told me at seven years old or eight years old, said, listen, your four-wheeler's not going to ultimately satisfy you, I'd said, you're a liar. <laughs> you are a liar. Four-wheeler's all I need, right? And um, my parents were very wise. God gave them wise, so they never bought me a four-wheeler. Now, I used my friends and wrecked those or whatever. Um, they probably knew my personality and uh, made the good decision on that. But I was convinced that that was the thing that was going to fulfill me. Now, I know that if we all went to your seven, eight-year-old self, you probably had something like that. And you probably had some toy or things, a wish list or something that you would think, man, if I could just get that. But we're not too different from ourselves as kids. We just have grown-up things that we think will give us satisfaction. Man, if I can just have my kids to behave If I can just get that promotion, if I can just get better and healthy, if I can just get fit. They say satisfaction is 30 days away, right? If I can just get around the corner. The problem is that I never fix it or fill it because here's the thing. It didn't create it. God created that spot in yourself for him and he's the only one to fill it. Colossians 1, 15 6 through 16 says this. says talking about Jesus. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, listen to this, all things were created through him and for him. Puzzle piece created by him, fit by him. You were made by Jesus, for Jesus. And until we understand that on a deep level, you're going to run in circles all of life looking for the next thing. Running. Let me find this. Maybe just, it's just right there. I'm so close. But it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. The deep satisfaction that you're looking for is to be accepted by God, to be loved by God, and to be known by God. And you have all of that in Jesus. So you can stop running. Those things won't give you peace. Only Christ will. Maybe you're here this morning and you're walking away from God because you don't desire Him because you feel like He doesn't have what you need. That there are other things in life like this rich young ruler saw with his money that will fulfill him. But the truth is what you're going to find out in 30 days or 30 years is that nothing will satisfy you. But here's the problem that we wake up daily and the world and Satan and our flesh continue to tell us the lie that there's something else. We wake up every morning with an anti-gospel. I'm going to go out and prove to God why he should love me. I'm going to prove that I can achieve the things I want and those things are going to fulfill me. And if we don't wake up every morning and preach the true gospel to ourselves, we can walk into anti-gospel. The true gospel says there's nothing I can do to be made right with God, that I'm a sinner and separated from God, but that God loved me so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that I'm forgiven, I'm loved, and I'm an adopted child of God. And that I walk in that strength, the strength that Christ has placed in me, and that identity, and that is how I get through my day, not in an anti-gospel trying to earn God's love way. That's the treasure. But you got to fight for it. That's why reading your Bible, coming to church, those aren't checklists. Those aren't the rich young ruler's list to do so God can be happy with you. Those things keep you in check. They keep you in check because your heart is desperately wicked and it wants to run to the things of this world. And the spirit inside of you needs to be reminded. The spirit will remind you through scripture, through prayer, through going to church, of what the true gospel is. And then one day, when we're in heaven, that flesh and that wicked heart will be removed. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you don't have a relationship with Him, man, don't be the rich young ruler. Don't turn around and say, this is more, this worth more to me than Jesus. There's nothing Nobody in eternity is second-guessing whether they should have put faith in Jesus. They're not. Everyone who did is glad, and everyone that didn't wishes they would have. Listen, Christianity is different. Jesus came to save us from your sins to have a relationship with you. All other religions treat humans as a slave to bow down to and to follow them and to sacrifice their life And maybe, just maybe, you can have eternal life. Christianity is that God was willing to sacrifice his life to buy you back from slavery. Jesus gave up his life for you to be forgiven of your sin, to be made right with God and to walk with him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Who's the wealthy one here? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You want to become rich? It's in Christ. And the Bible says is that if you come to Jesus and that you turn from your sin <clears throat> and put your faith in Him, that you'll be saved. Not just saved, but you'll know the Creator, you'll know the Savior, and you'll know the friend is the only one that can satisfy your soul. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christian, believer, where have you allowed a sin, a dream, an idol to creep in and make you forget the treasure you have in Christ. Have you bought the world's lie again? That it just it, I need to get this and then I'll be satisfied. What's ultimate in your life? Is it a job? Is it a school? Is it a spouse? Is it an addiction? Is it holding on to that anger? Ask God to forgive you and remind you of the treasure we have in Christ. Christians, do your friends know this gospel, this creator and savior, this true treasure? Are we sharing in our workplace or are we telling others? If not, we need to share this treasure. This treasure is one that that has unlimited resources. It's not going to run out. We need to be sharing and telling people. Go ahead and bow your head. I'm going to pray for us.